I'm Greg Euland, and this is Connected. Today, I get to sit down with Michael Cirillo, uh, CEO at Flex Dealer and the host of uh, the Dealer Playbook. If you haven't caught that podcast, you got to check it out. Um, it's one of the top-rated automotive podcasts out there, really focused on helping dealers. Um, so again, that's the Dealer Playbook. Make sure to check it out. But uh, Michael, thanks so much for, for joining me and uh, looking forward to the conversation. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about it. Yep. Yep. So I noticed, uh, Michael, I couldn't help but notice the awesome chair that you're sitting in. So that's, that's one yes. of the things when, when we were building out this studio, I was like, I don't know if I like these chairs and you know, the, the white, I don't know, but, uh, it seems like you have a very comfortable chair. So what was that process like finding a piece of furniture that you could sit in for however long? Um, I, I'm kind of a research nut. My wife will tell you about this. I'm my, my idea of a good time. Oh crap. I'm about to expose how kind of nerdy I am. Uh, <laughs> A Friday night, you will catch Cirillo on YouTube watching <laughs> how tos and reviews. And uh, and so, um, you know, I used to wrestle in high school and had a pretty, pretty nasty accident at one point. And I've always had a bad back. So now when it comes to being an office worker, it's like, man, you, you, I mean, anybody that sits at a desk knows like that lower back gets to you. So I just started researching um, office chairs. And I stumbled on this video of, uh, of an ex Google engineer. And he had like, I don't know, six or seven office chairs that he had bought over his career. And so he just went through the pros and cons of it. And so what I found was there's this brand and I can't even remember what it's called, but it almost has this like exoskeleton that morphs to your back, super yep. expensive. And well, like, you know, I mean, I get it. I'm sitting in it all day, but I'm not like a I'm pretty frugal. <laughs> and but but the shocker was he said this chair from Staples is by far the best all-round one and it's like 200 bucks. So I went on Amazon and I bought it and here we are. All right. No, that's that's great <laughs> I but it, I had to give you some of the story or else it was going to be like staples.com <laughs> and you know what I mean so but that's it and it's great and it's got a headrest you can take the so when we're really nerding out and need to lay back at our computer you know it's got all the things so it's great I hear you no that's good that's good um so you've been you've been doing this for a long time you've been uh, you're one of the um you know OG podcasters in, in automotive retail at least uh, you've been doing the dealer playbook for I mean going on 10 years right yeah, go, we're going on our 10th year, just past uh, 500 episodes. We're about 520 episodes in and uh, no end in sight. Yeah, that's great. So um, with that, I mean, you've obviously, so 520 episodes, I mean, you've had the opportunity to talk to uh, a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. um, any of them stand out? Like any, any that you just look back on, it's like, man, that was a really good conversation. I mean, you, you know, you don't want to dog anybody, but right. sometimes you just get into a conversation, you go, man, I, I took a lot away from that, or that was a really cool person, or I don't know, any of them stand out to you? Yeah, there, there's, well, I mean, there's, there's probably too many to mention. However, what I will say is, you know, early on, I think I, I hung my hat perhaps too firmly on it's got to be a big name. It's got to be the name that everyone's heard of. And so, you know, we were really fortunate early on because I think by episode 10 or 11, I had Gary Vaynerchuk on the show and everyone was like, how the heck did you do that? And then, you know, episode 15 or 16 was Grant Cardone for the first time, ended up having him on six or seven times and all these New York Times bestselling authors and stuff. And what I realized is that some of my favorites are the people that nobody's ever heard of. Yeah. And I try, I thought about that and why that might be. And I think it's because, you know, when you get to a certain level of success, 
you kind of, I'm not going to say you don't care, but you kind of, for lack of better words, don't. It's like, okay, I'm on another podcast. But when it's that person that's kind of in the day-to-day, the grind, they're making a name for themselves, they're hungry, they've got really good information. There are so, so many people that I've been able to sit down with um, who then, who, who were kind of a, not really anybody back when I interviewed them and all of a sudden have made these amazing things for themselves. One in particular is a pal of mine. His name's Marcus Sheridan. And the first time I had him on the show, he, w- he, he was starting to kind of make a name for himself, but he, he spoke about the importance of content marketing, content creation. And that's always stood out because his philosophy has really helped me in my career and especially how I produce the podcast. He spoke about the concept of they ask, you answer. And how even in a 2022 world, this stands true, how difficult it still actually is to find good information online. Yeah. And so if you're the brand or the company or the the individual who's actually taking the time to answer people's questions, you win. And so there's there's definitely this affinity I have for the lesser knowns that I get to interview because they always seem to just have those very tactical, you know, pieces of advice. Whereas the the bigger names are usually like, uh, hustle more. And you're like, oh, okay, great, thanks. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. No, and I, that's a great example with the content marketing. I mean, I always look at it as you basically have when you think about you know marketing as a whole, you got proactive and you got reactive, right? And and reactive, that's what content marketing is, right? You you, you somehow get demand or you're you're um, building on demand that already exists, and right. you're there, right? So somebody searches something reactively, you you're there. You're the one that has the answer to your point. So um, there's there's always two pieces to it. You either got to generate demand or uh, capture demand and and, you know, if somebody else is generating it for you, that's not a bad thing as long as you can capture it. So um, that proactive versus reactive is, uh, you know, it lines right up with what you're saying uh, with the content marketing pieces. So it fits into, you know, when as we produce the show, um, I want to say I was probably year five. I don't know if this is, exposes how slow a study I am, but probably around year five, I started to really pick up on this trend because there were common traits like that or common common behaviors or common pieces of advice that I started to notice a lot of the guests were sharing in their own words. So for Marcus Sheridan, his phraseology is they ask you answer. Yep. But others were starting to say things like just finally tell people what you do accurately. In our industry, we boiled it down to one buzzword, which was transparency. You remember when transparency, like transparency, what'd you get out of NADA? Transparency, dude. It was like, oh my God. Okay. So, um, but there were, there were other common themes that I started to pick up on. And it was about year five that we, we conducted a study and went back over the previous, you know, couple hundred episodes and noticed that over 60% of every guest said one thing in particular in common, whether they were a content creator a personal brand, a sales expert, a, you know, and it was what we've boiled down on the podcast to one acronym because we know we we love acronyms in this industry yep. and it's BRT, build relationships of trust. Every single one of these, you know, 60 plus percent of guests all boiled everything they did down to that one concept without relationships or nothing. Without the desire to empower and serve somebody else, we're not going to get very far. Focus too much on the transaction and not the individual. 
you're not going to sell as many cars. You start to, you know, interview individuals like Ali Rita, who, if you recall, had that kind of controversial Guinness Book of World Record thing going on between him and Joe Girard, um, where he sold over 1,500 vehicles in a year. Right. Um, and you sit down with him and spend time with him. And he does not talk about how to negotiate a car sale, like the thing that everybody wants to talk about. What are your word tracks? What's the, if somebody says this, what do you say? He doesn't focus on any of that. It blew me away. He, he would say things, Greg, like, you know, when my family and I go out to eat, I make sure that I pop into back and give my compliments to the chef and ask them how they're doing. And if there's anything I can do to help them. Uh, I don't eat my lunch in a silo. I go out into the community and I, and I'm getting to know people and I'm participating in the community. My clients are seeing me at their kids' ball games. I really, you know, as I pay attention to that, not only has that in, empowered me in my own business, but those that are truly paying attention who can get past the, um, well, but how, how do I build, how do I be a good person? It's like, dude, if you can't figure out how to do one good thing for somebody else, then <laughs> go back to your word tracks. Um, right. but it really started empowering a lot of people. We started getting feedback from listeners saying, I tried that thing. I just went on, went out on a limb and stopped by the coffee shop and grabbed some coffee for my coworkers or for my boss or for my customers. And it's crazy what that little gesture did. So, you know, I look at that historically, how many amazing things in our industry and beyond have happened predicated upon the concept of build relationships of trust. And then as we move into the future, Greg, and we look at our industry and we're like, ah, this migration from ICE to EV, uh, Web3, the metaverse, all of these things, what I find interesting, I'm, I'm kind of tracking is that still, regardless of the medium, regardless of the locale, everything keeps boiling back down to, great, so you're in the metaverse and you're buying a car sitting across a desk from a cartoon character dressed up like Donkey Kong. Right. The, the people behind those avatars still want to trust in the other person behind the avatar to move that sale forward. So I, I've thoroughly enjoyed my time being able to, to sit down and have conversations with these individuals and track that because that one element of build relationships of trust has really been a real um, rally point, a beck and cry, if you will, for the community that I hope to be a part of in, in retail automotive to help people think differently about how they navigate the day to day. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's it, your, your point's well taken in that it's not about the transaction. I mean, it is right. Ultimately, that that interaction that you have and that transaction that you have matter. And we need to make the most out of every customer touch point that we have. Right. And right. that's just that's the reality of the business that we're in. But it becomes much easier and you're you're able to be much more successful if you've laid the groundwork to to have that trust and that that underlying relationship with with whoever's in front of you. Um, hopefully it's somebody that you've known for a long time, but, you know, maybe it's somebody that you've known for 15 minutes. Um, but you have to have that perspective, too, where if I'm selling a car and somebody walks into the store, I have to know that from that person's perspective. So if I flip flip around and I'm on the other side of the interaction, um, they've already spent 20, 25, 40 hours 
researching and interacting. Right. So for them, they already know the car. They feel like they know me on some level because of the interactions that they've had, whether that's through chat or email or text or, or whatever the communication channel was. Um, and, and to be able to to make that meaningful and to leverage it is, is really important. So you have to, um, you know, you have to find ways as, as whether you're the salesperson or anybody else, any relationship that you have, find ways to, um, bring value in every interaction. Right. And that, that comes from that trust and that relationships that, that you've built over whatever period of time, whether it's two minutes or 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think of it this way, like it, it's hard because on the retail side of the business, we're moving in these 30 day cycles. And that creates, I think, as much as I, from a marketing perspective, I loathe the idea from an urgency perspective to, t to make sure that I'm taking the appropriate actions every day to enhance my life. I understand that, that that's something that's needed, but I also understand that that may also be hindering my ability to think beyond myself. Because if I'm always focused on myself, that's why I think it becomes difficult to think about others. Guys like Ali Rita, Frank Crenitti, and, and the likes, there's, there's dozens of others throughout this industry. They're trying to break that mindset of me, 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 and shifting it to you, you, you. And the more that we do that, the more that that effort is compounded, the more we, we reset into a new cycle where business opportunities are constantly happening and we're constantly seeing them and, and it builds our confidence to go and serve uh, more regularly. But we've got to break that cycle at some point. And in our industry where we're typically focused inward, got to hit volume, got to sell X, got to reach this quota, got to, uh, you know, all of those things are shifting our focus back to the transaction, even though I think our hearts are telling us we need to be focused more on, on customer. Then there's those that say, well, how does technology play into this? And I mean, people always find it weird that I'm a guy that develops technology. I mean, we have a very fast, quick, you know, inventory solution that we're, we've built and that we're continuing to build out and people go, well, but isn't that supposed to solve all of these problems and make it better and faster? And the reality of it is, I think Greg, that if we then become too dependent on the tools, that makes us a tool. You know, like, don't be a tool. The tools are in place to enhance our ability to go do more of the thing that matters. It's no different than the way I see it. It's no, no different than hiring somebody to help out with the workload. I don't expect them to do all of the things that I can do. I expect them to alleviate enough of the 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 burden or whatever you want to call it so that I have the bandwidth to focus on what's within my pay grade, so to speak, for lack of better words. And so we, I, I think sometimes we struggle with that inside of this industry where, you know, pre-show we were kind of chuckling that you need 187 vendors to run a car dealership. And because I think the reality of it is that it's not the vendor's fault for pitching you the product. Right. It's yeah. And, and, but it's also not all your fault, the dealer's fault for believing that that product would lasso the sun, the moon and the stars for them, because that's how it was pitched to them. So as an industry, I think it's important that we come together and start having more meaningful conversations about what does your product do? What can it actually help me do in an ideal situation? I get it. 
But now it's incumbent upon me, the person being pitched upon, to say, do I have what it takes to successfully deploy this solution? Do I have the right people? Do I have a process? Do I have the time to install it and onboard and give it its due diligence? And if we don't do that, we're going to be in this perpetual cycle of failing over and over, perceived failure over and over and over again, because we, none of us were being self-aware enough. And so that's another common theme that we talk a lot about on the show is like people, product, process. Right. It's focus on others, build relationships of trust, and be honest with yourself. If we're going to be an industry that throws around transparency, then we need to be transparent with ourselves and say, can I actually do what this takes? And have that open and honest conversation with people pitching you a tool um, so that you have an honest look on on how it will actually apply within the context of your circumstances. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, focusing on, you know, the, the problem that you're trying to fix, right? So what, what are you trying to solve for? Because, yeah, I mean, you can get... You can get caught up in um, volume and you can get caught up in uh, all, all different aspects of the business. But when, it, when you boil it down, are you trying to fix a scalability issue? Are you trying to fix um, a growth issue? Are you trying right. to fix um, you know, a, a people issue? Right? Are you trying to make your people better? What, what are you trying to fix and focus on that part of it versus just adding you know, more and more trinkets on top of something that, that you haven't clearly identified? Um, I think that, that that can be as as somebody buying something, especially, um, that, that can be really difficult to do. But I think it's it's the only way to really clearly evaluate and, and get bought in and get your team bought in on what you're trying to do. Because if you if you know the problem, then you can go fix it. But if you're just just chasing the sun, the moon, and the stars, like you said, um, you're you're the, the commitment isn't there beyond that 30 days. And then you're back to square one once you're ticked off because the trainers left and two weeks later, everybody went back to what they were doing. <laughs> right. It's one of those things too, where, where it's like, and show yourself a little more grace. Sure. This is going to take longer than you want it to, but guess mm-hmm. what? Uh, we all have more time than we think and less than we want. Yeah. That's, so that's like, true. you know, for example, I think about this, I'm actually fascinated by this concept. It took 1500 years to go from a chariot and horse to horse and buggy. Like it took 1500 years for someone to be like, you know, it'd be good. Like if we could fit the whole family in this deal, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it took 50, 1500, it took, Within the last 200 years, Greg, within the last 200 years, we went from horse and buggy to freaking stealth aircraft. Yep. Now, why do I say that? Because it's that type of narrative that makes us go, holy crap, the iPhone was only, it's only 14 years old. Look how fast we've come in 14 years. Technology's moving so fast. What are we going to do? I can't keep up. Guess what? What does any of that have to do with you? Do you know what I mean? Like, what has anybody stopped and just said, hold on, pause. I need to pause this arbitrary thing called time for a minute and say, what does that have to do with the fact that, to your point, I have a scale issue. I have a personnel issue. I have a heart of coal 
issue. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what is it? What does any of that matter? So we let ourselves panic because technology and the world is moving so fast around us that we get sucked into the vacuum of, oh, better have that thing because it's the latest and greatest. And I need the latest and greatest in order to keep up with technology. And if I don't keep up, then the customers don't want it. They're not going to do business with me and, and so on and so forth. I am blown away, though, by just how many customers boots on the ground in the local communities are still just saying, I wish they could move me faster through the store. Yeah. Or I wish they didn't treat me like gum on the bottom of the shoe. Or I wish they would just send me a text message when my car was done in service. Like these are not <laughs> like text messaging has existed for how long now? They're sure. not even asking for today, the, the today things. They're asking for just decent human keep me in the loop things yeah. that have existed for years and years and years. And so what? why does it matter that we put all of our, our chips on new and emerging technology when on mass today customer is wondering, why can't I just get a text message? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of that, so to take that example, right. I want a text message with my cars done. Um, <clears throat> the last time this was, I don't know, two weeks ago, I'm in a service drive and there's four advisors working the counter at the time. It was right around lunchtime. So it was like 1130, 12 o'clock. And I think each one of them had two people on hold on the phone. Right. And there were about 14 people standing in line at, with, with questions about the car. Um, who knows what their inbox looks like. Right. They got a couple texts standing there waiting for approvals on stuff. And and so we, we take a step back and we go, why can't we just text the consumer? And the reality is that service advisor's got a hard job and he's got a lot of stuff to do. Um, and pulling out his phone and texting, you know, you or me to let us know that our brake job's done or our oil change is done. That's one more thing on the list. And it's so right. easy for it to fall off because you're not sitting right in front of him. You know, right. there's, there's, like I said, you know, 14 people standing there waiting for, for answers um, or right. waiting to pay or waiting to whatever. Right. Um, and this so is where that grace thing comes in. Like show yourself some grace and sit yeah. down and say, okay, acknowledge this is an issue. And to your earlier point, what are we going to do to solve it? What's the solution to this one thing? We don't have to solve our whole dealership. This is a one consistent, you know, thorn in our side. What are we going to do to solve that thing? Right. Yeah. Hey, Jim, do we expect Jim to, with all the other things? No, Jim's at bandwidth. Okay. That's not enough to put him on the chopping block. He's a human being. Right. But like, maybe we need, maybe, maybe then we explore the softwares to send that text message to tie into our system so that Jim can continue to do the things that are worth his time and that yeah. require that human touch. And these notifications can run on autopilot. Yeah. Yeah. You want that advisor selling. I mean, that's where the relationship comes in, right? When you're trying to sell something, that's right. when you want the relationship. Um, and, and notifying somebody of anything, right? It's time for your appointment tomorrow, uh, your car's done, um, or take it to the next level. You know, hey, the work's done on your car. It's going through the car wash right now. It's expected to be out in 20 minutes. Um, right. Whatever those kind of update type of things are, you know, why, why put that on somebody that, that could be generating revenue? Mm -hmm. um, and, and you can help them in a lot of ways build that relationship without them having to spend the time on it, so. Yeah, I love that. I love the way you put that. It's like his job is to build relationship and generate revenue. And we flipped that in our industry. We're like, what more software can we implement to generate the revenue for us? And you're like, oh, no. 
and we need to break <laughs> out of that cycle, right? It, it's still, it's not the Facebook ad that sells the car for you. It's still that person boots on the ground who reaches out and says, hey, Mrs. Johansson, so excited to um, chat with you about this vehicle. You have 15 minutes later today or tomorrow to experience the most breath of fresh air, you know, shopping experience you've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. And just engaging wherever she wants to engage. Right. And, you Mm -hmm. know, if you just want to talk through messenger, that's fine. But, you know, if you want to come in and and check out this car, that'd be, that'd be great too. So, um, or build one that better suits you. Mm -hmm. Um, but so, uh, Michael, I actually want to shift gears a little bit too. So we're we're getting, um, really good conversation, but I'm curious on your perspective while, while I have you, um, you know, crystal ball, what, what kind of the future looks like. And I don't want to go too far out because, you know, if you go past even six or 12 months, who, who knows? Um, right. But looking at everything going on uh, out there and, and where our industry is today and, and what potentially could be around the corner, um, what do you see as some, um, some, some things to, to look out for, right? If you're, if you're looking around that corner and, and once we turn that corner, whenever that is, whether it's, you know, next month or next year or, or a year from now, um, what are some of those big things to just keep an eye out for uh, that, that dealers and everybody in the industry should be aware of? Well, um, I love that what I'm about to say is also predicated on human behavior. Yep. I'm no, I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist or human behavior specialist, but I do have some life experience at this point. Right. We're, we're just waiting. At, at time of recording this, we are just waiting for somebody with the authority to officially announce that we're in a recession. And we all know why they're not doing it. The midterms are coming up, right? They don't want to be the, the government that the sitting government that admitted they led us into a recession. But shortly thereafter, we've all lived through recessions before. In fact, a lot of people were sleeping through it because we were distracted by the pandemic, but there was a recession in early 2020. We just didn't know because we were all forced to stay at home. But what do I see? I see human behavior. What happens is people are, we're, we're starting to see people reconsider purchases, especially those that sit in that six to 700 credit score range, because they're the ones that go and spend all the money anyways. People with higher credit score and disposable income, they're just going to buy things regardless of the market condition. And then everybody else is going to get categorized somehow into subprime you know, type of, uh, of a situation, and they're not going to be spending anyways. But we're starting to see a slight hold on people, you know, willing to spend their money, whereas largely through the last several months, people were spending their money like crazy. Sure. So we're going to see we're going to see more of that when the when the recession is finally announced by the media. People, that's when the panic sets in. It's the same way we saw it in 08, 09. It's the same way we saw it in the early days of the pandemic, it's the same way we saw it in the 80s and the 90s. It's when it's officially announced, people go, oh, my gosh, stop spending, stop this. And we're going to see that again. The, the important thing to know, though, is if you track the last five to seven economic downturns, they've lasted between five and 24 months. And then they're always backed by about five to 15 years of explosive growth. And we just experienced that, right? You go from 08, 09 to now, and things exploded. So much wealth created in that time period. I think we're in for 
that same cycle, you know, 18 to 24 months of kind of like, oh boy, and people are going to mm-hmm. be hanging on. And during that time, it's going to be incumbent upon anybody who needs to make money to live to be that much more convincing of why you should part with those dollars with me versus them. Hmm. Why I deserve it. Now, what is that going to mean? That, that, that means we really have to consider what going over and above means because we haven't had to in this industry in the last two years. Yeah. It, yeah. it means that dealers who were at 2 million net profit who went to 6 million net profit during the pandemic ought not be comfortable with the 6 million because they're, they might track backwards a little bit, but they need not worry if they know how to look at their money. They need to say, Oh, Oh, I'm a 4 million. I'm down 2 million a year. No, dude, you're actually up. You're, you're up 2 million over time from where you were. And I guess my call to, to those listening and watching is do your best It's not going to be easy, but do your best to remain level-headed. Just take a step back and say, what am I dealing with? And back to your similar comment, your earlier comment, Greg, what's the problem and what do we need to solve for? Yeah. And if you navigate the next, you know, 18 to 24 months like that, you are going to be positioned for that explosive growth while perhaps some of your contemporaries are being forced to sell out, be acquired, or or shut up, shut, shut the doors. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good perspective. Obviously a, um, uh, um, not a fun one, but not a fun uh, one, but it's like, you know, here it's, we go. Buckle up yeah. folks. And, and, you know, I would, I would add to that as well. Um, be ready, be prepared. Um, actually I listened to, to, an episode that you had recently talking about preparation and, you know, if this, then what, right. And, and that's a really good mindset to have. Um, but I would, I would add to that and say that as a dealer, as a GM, even as a salesperson, um, I, I would certainly encourage you not to just accept that, right. Find other ways. How do you continue that growth? You know, that's when right. you look over time, you're, you're talking about ups and downs and peaks and valleys. And, um, I mean, auto industry is a, is a close trailing indicator of the overall economy, right? Economy's up, mm-hmm. car sales are up, economy's down, car sales are down. It's pretty simple. Um, right. but as a, as a dealer, as an individual dealer, whether you have one dealership, 10 or a hundred, um, how do you get past that, right? What, what can you do um, to expand your footprint? What can you do to continue to see growth? It won't be easy. It won't be the same, but it's not impossible, right? I, we, right. I, I know a dealer pretty well um, down in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and uh, he is selling cars in 49 states right now um, and delivering them. And his, his volume has skyrocketed because he's, he's shifted his mindset from – you know, bringing people to the store to taking the store to people, right? He, he views his dealership as really two different entities. He's got a, a brick and mortar store that welcomes people in and they deliver a lot of cars that way. But then he's also got essentially an online storefront and uh, he'll deliver cars that way too. And um, he and, his, and he's built this into his staff and his culture. They've just shifted their mindset to say, you know what, let's not accept the fact that we have a ceiling. And, and yep, there's issues and there's headwinds and there's struggles, but 
we're going to grow. And, right. and he's, he's done a fantastic job. And, and I would encourage anybody out there, if you want to, right, if that's what you want, um, right. you know, be prepared and understand that you could be facing some different times. Um, but there's always ways, right? There's always a way to, always. to find an opportunity and to take advantage. So it's one of those things, right? Uh, you know, I tend to be much more of a realist. And, and for the wrong audience, that comes across as pessimism. Oh, nay, nay. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's it's how we possess, like I don't want it sugarcoated. I want to know right. what am I actually dealing with? Mm-hmm. And so you're right. Like I am uh, with that realism. I'm incredibly optimistic. There's always a way. Everything is let's make up a word. Everything is figure outable. There you go. You know what I I'm like saying? That. And and so like as we navigate this time, you know, I appreciate you listening to that episode because that's what we're trying to do with with our community is, hey, if you're prepared there's nothing to fear. You're anticipating. All we're doing is we're anticipating. Will it go the way I think it will 100%? No, it never does. Right. But if I can anticipate. Now, let's consider. Let's give let's let's give them, you know, the the listener, the viewer something actionable to to walk through, maybe a simple exercise. Cuz what I found in my own experience is when I fear the most, it's because of a lack of preparation and a lack of confidence that I can actually do it. Can I, can I I do this? What am I? And so I take out, well, now my iPad and my Apple pencil, but a piece of paper, whatever your notes app on your phone. Do I feel confident that I can do this answer? Honestly, no. Why answer? Why get to the crux of why Ah, I just don't feel like we're up to speed. And I feel like my, okay, guess what? You've now just identified the top, one to five things you need to tackle now. Yep, there's your problem. And there's your problem. Now go do something about it. Now, when we look at the the, the perpetual high producers, high productive dealers in our industry versus those that perpetually struggle, that sure. is an exercise they don't shy away from. What is it that's causing me to feel this way about my business? Uh, I'm not feeling confident. What would boost your confidence? I. Uh, I've been hanging on to not having this conversation with Judy for too long. Hey, oh, nobody says it's going to be easy, but you got to do it. So to your point, you identify those problems. Don't overwhelm yourself. Top top three, tackle those. Then do the exercise again and tackle those. Top three again, tackle those. If you're constantly pursuing your definition of success that way, then – you will never fail. You can't, you're, you're like Doc Rivers. You can't get that guy. It's like, I don't know what happened. It's like, you guys lost the game. Yeah, I know. I'm with you. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like one of those <laughs> things. You can't get them. And it's the same thing here. Like, define what success means for you. Forget all the reports and the comparisons and the whatever. What does success mean to you? Merriam Webster Dictionary defines success as a favorable or desired outcome. In that light, that means all of us, I mean, you have a different idea of what's favorable and desired for your family than I do for mine. Therefore, there's enough success to go around. And as we, if we can get clear on that, you know, success means a team that is professional, kind, you know, whatever, like lives according to our core values, is accessible to the customer, helps the customer, goes above and beyond. Okay, well, so now what do you do to achieve that? Let's walk backwards into each of those things. Oh yeah. man, they should probably be trained on this. And they're like, okay, let's go. There's your list. And so I want 
the realism of what we're already in that just hasn't been announced to be met with action predicated on what are we actually dealing with. And I, and I believe in my heart, not just dealers, any business owner, if they can write that list and come up with why they feel the way that they feel and deploy a little bit of self-awareness, they're going to come up with the list of things that are that the actions that are most important for them to take. No, no different than, hey, I don't like the way my jeans fit. Well, why is that? Because <laughs> I ate too much over the Christmas holiday. What am I going to do now? I'm going to come up with an exercise plan, a healthy eating ritual. So, you know, it's no different. We do this in all aspects of our life. If we can do that, then what I believe is those next 18 to 24 months will look much more bright and hope-filled for you than those who just never take that action. Yep. No, that's, that's a great, uh, great perspective, great way to look at it for sure. Um, all right, Michael, I want to be respectful of your time. I, I really appreciate you taking so much time and chatting today. Um, but, uh, you know, while I got you before we hop off, anything that uh, we didn't touch on that we should or anything else you want to you want to hit on? No, th- thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. Uh, really enjoyed uh, your questioning and the conversation. And, you know, certainly we'd love people to go check out flexdealer.com. And if you haven't subscribed or listened to the Dealer Playbook podcast yet, um, you're, you got 10 years of episodes to catch up on, but it's available wherever <laughs> you get your podcasts. No, that's great. Appreciate it. I could I could talk to you for uh, for hours probably, but uh, thanks so much for for hopping on, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, Greg. All right, see ya. What a great conversation with Michael Cirillo. Really appreciate him coming on. Uh, before we hop off this week, don't forget you can watch or listen to episodes of Connected on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, and make sure to hit subscribe so you're notified every other week when new episodes are released. Thanks so much, and we'll see you in two weeks.